Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hello. Hey, Tara. Take two. Take two. We won't redo the nonsense at the beginning. No. no. You know, there's always like a technical issue of some sort. Yeah. Either there's a cat clawing on my chair that we have to fix. <laughs> Faux earthquakes. <laughs> At least we get it done in the beginning. Right. So we're here. Who we shout out this week? This week, our shout out goes to Bees for Vets out of Nevada. Bees for Vets is a 501c3 that is assisting veterans who have experienced PTSD in the art of vocational beekeeping. Not only are they offering this service to vets, but they also have it opened up to first responders as well. The bees are giving veterans a big purpose in life. And on their website in the 60-second doc featured on their page, they state that keeping care of another form of life means a lot. And as farmers, we all know this to be true. I definitely feel that way too. Oh, completely. It really does give a person a bigger meaning to their life. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine the bees are are like fit right in with like a military background too the way they're so like structured structured i bet that feels kind of comforting to people who have done their whole career that way or their whole this is all speculation but i could imagine yeah it sounds good to me right my husband's an actual he is a he's veteran both yeah yeah so he's a veteran i was like what is he i don't know he's a husband husband. anyway he does our beekeeping here and he really does enjoy it so I can see how this is super helpful to other veterans. Totally. And Bees for Vets provide students with the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning in their apiary. So they own their own apiary, the Bees for Vets, and they actually get to learn in this apiary. Their first year, they are able to learn how to install bees, splitting hives, working with queens, harvesting honey, requeening hives, and ensuring proper amounts of food are available for the bees to make it through the winter. And the second year is like kind of your choice, the veteran's choice, but it's very important for the bees for vets too, because in the subsequent years or the second year, they'll learn how to work with hives throughout the community that they've set around their entire community. And they have oversight available as needed, which that would be so helpful because having an expert beekeeper give you information when you're opening hives, that's so nice. Totally. Everyone could gain a lot of knowledge from a mentor like that. Yeah. And if you are in northwestern Nevada and you meet their criteria or you are a professional that would like to begin participating in this wonderful program, please check out their site at www.beesforvets.org. You can also donate through their website so they can continue this important work throughout the same link. And this will be in our show notes. Totally. And just like if we do have any veterans listening that are struggling and need an outlet... Bees for Vets, there's other organizations that have similar options to in different areas of the country. So like if you've never thought about this being an option, Google it or maybe like local VFA places will have resources too. But like these sorts of things exist. And I know like in Colorado, there was a group that worked with horses and veterans. There's There's some out there. So if you're a veteran and hadn't thought about this option before, like definitely dig in. Yeah, we have one local to where I'm at in Montana. And it's just called Plan B. Oh, so cool. <laughs> they're pretty much everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I yeah. love that. That's awesome. Not only are you giving back to veterans, but you're also giving back to the earth and right. really helping everyone out with bees. Exactly. So if you want to reach out to us, if you are a veteran or if you guys know of somebody local in your area that does 
work with animals and veterans, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email at milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us at Facebook or Instagram at milkmaidspodcast. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, we love it. We got a few actually. So that's awesome. Speaking of reviews. Well, first I have to say that Chartable let me know that we are ranked number 13 in Italy in the category of home and garden. So like get your plaques out. I would like a parade in Italy. Sometimes it blows me away. I wonder, like, are people outside? Because I always feel like such an idiot when we do our episodes and we're like, oh yeah, in Fahrenheit and inches and feet or whatever. You know what I mean? And then we're like, Sometimes we'll make jokes about how, yeah, sorry, we didn't convert that. Like, yeah. Do other people find that intolerable? Because now we're like ranking in other countries. So, listen, I always measure with crockpots and people. So, I don't know about you. Right. Yeah. To be fair, you've determined your entire own system. <laughs> yeah. It's, and maybe the Italians understand. Yeah. And that's why they're listening. Absolutely makes sense. We solved this. Right. Problem. <laughs> We solved it. Oh, my gosh. So we also got a review from one of our most favorite listeners, Tracy, at Featherbeard Farms. And she says, this show is a highlight of my podcast feed. That's so nice. And she says, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but this one is my favorite. Tara and Steph are so funny and fun to listen to that I feel like we are friends because we are. Side note, Tracy, we're friends. (laughs) And their show is the best research I have found. They know their stuff and they do their homework to give you accurate information. I love their shout outs, their icebreakers, and hearing about their own farms, the whole nine yards. Wonderful people, wonderful show. So thank you again, Tracy. That was awesome. And we really appreciate you. And we love following your journey on IG. And also, I adore that you get all my Schitt's Creek jokes because that was a fun one that I slipped in about the folding of the cheese. And she totally <laughs> she caught it. it. She got it. Oh, my god! And we've made such a great friend through all of this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy. And our next review comes from, I think it's said Bubs Farm. B-U-B-B-E-S. Yeah. Yes. That's what I would guess, too. She follows us on our Facebook page and comments a lot. So I finally found you. It took me a little bit of searching to figure out who this was, but I found you. (laughs) (laughs) So she said, this is informative and fun. I love this podcast. I'm a new family, small farmer who had a small five hen backyard coop in a lovely suburban home and now chickens and cattle we run dexter cattle and we are planning on a small dairy meat eggs and meat chickens in hopes of providing kosher food for our small jewish community this podcast has inspired me and educated me so that now i'm able to at least know the right questions to ask thanks for teaching the language of farming and that's from bub's farm on apple Podcasts. they reviewed us so thank you so much that's so sweet Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. And that's like, I think the biggest, one of my biggest goals is I like, I feel like I'm not here to write, I'm like, Tara, we're not educating people on the college level. No, (laughs) by no means. But like, I feel like half the time when you're getting into something or even when you're actively doing it, like just knowing what questions to ask is so important. And I think that's really cool that like she's taken that out of what we're doing here. That's awesome. Right. And then a good way to provide kosher food that's so integral and important to the Jewish community. And I just applaud you. And I think that's so awesome. Yeah. And a really good way to do that in a way that's benefiting you too, because we all learn when we're farming. And yeah, thank you. Totally. Keep at it. You're doing the greatest job you can. And I love to see your Dexters. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, because I like Dexters. (laughs) Yeah. Big fan. (laughs) Stephanie. Yes. What's your biggest advice to those wanting to sell meat? Yikes. (laughs) Don't say it. Don't. 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 No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. So I, I guess like my first thing on the yikes, like why I'm saying yikes maybe is that selling meat can either be the easiest thing that you do or right. like ridiculously stupid. And it has nothing to do with the meat or raising the meat or acquiring it or packaging it or customers. In a lot of states, it's uh, you have to jump through quite a few hoops to be able to sell meat. Like um, logistically. Yes. Yeah. With logistics like are hard. Governmental regulations. Right, involvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I would say like, if those wanting to sell me, that would insinuate that they aren't currently. So do a ton of research. Um, and that can be quite a challenge is what I'll... It is, it, yeah. And you just you just have to power through and figure it out. Um, your Department of Agriculture can help you a lot um, in your state on answering those questions. Your local processor might be able to help you um, in a, get in the right direction too as far as finding where to look for those things. I know Wyoming's Department of Agriculture has a lot of like simplified PDFs on these are our laws, you know, questions and answers, but yeah, figuring out what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do and how to, to be allowed to do it can be quite the challenge. So I don't know if that's like, I guess it's not really advice. That's like a, be prepared for this. I never answer your questions directly. No, it's my personal gift. It is. You're really good (laughs) at it. I can't. No, I don't know either. But that was good. I mean, you're not wrong because when I started selling meat, I would do it by halves and holes and that was pretty easy because you didn't really need government involvement. In Montana. Yeah. Yeah. That's not necessarily then, the case everywhere. No, no, yeah. no. And I didn't, I could do state inspected, but when yeah. I tried to go get a meat one, I have to get a meat depot license. I have to keep all these records for a freezer that can lock. And then the sanitation department needs to be involved if I wanted to sell at a farmer's market. Yeah. And then he didn't really know how to do it, so he wasn't willing to work with me until I got a hold of his boss. Like, it's a whole oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, just don't – I mean, maybe that's it. Don't quit. Right. right. Maybe that's the better way to say it. It is like a puzzle, yeah. and you have to put all the pieces together because no one is willing to do it no. for you. Yeah, and that's – I think maybe that's the frustrating part, is it? seems like there should be just, like, somebody you could call or an office you could go to or oh, no. a website where it says, like, is this allowed? Do these yes. steps. Is that allowed? No. But that's not how it works. Right. No. And persevere if you're if somebody's telling you, yeah, I think maybe that's the advice. That's the better advice. You're well, I've solved your yeah. riddle. Yeah. Was that your advice or am I just taking yours now? No. My advice would <laughs> okay. be to sell smaller products. Don't go in trying to sell a whole or a half because in our location, people will go ape shit for a jerky stick. Yeah. For example. And that is like a hundred times the cost. You can sell it for like a ridiculous amount, like yeah. I don't know, five dollars a stick. Right. And you're making all that money back. Whereas if you're trying to sell a whole hog, yeah. you say, Oh, it's a thousand dollars and they're like, Well, I don't have that money, which understandable. But it's usually here's the thing. When you're selling meat, the people that are not as financially well off are the ones that are more willing to buy meat that will sustain them all year right whereas the people that have more money i found do not value meat the way that i don't know middle class people do i don't know how to say that but every time somebody told me my prices were too expensive it were it was the millionaires right right every small family that had a middle class income was like okay i can give you this much a month Mm -hmm. for this pig and they totally would and they were so thankful for the meat because i just think that people place more value on meat when they're on a tighter budget you know what I mean oh, yeah yeah wow I didn't answer my own question no you're on a tangent but it's still interesting yeah <laughs> so that's just what I've noticed from selling meat is that if you get products like one 
package of pork chops. I can yeah. sell it for this much compared to like a whole carcass. You can make more by selling smaller packages at a premium price. Yeah. Is my advice. No, totally. And I ran into that with chickens as well, that people um, had no idea how to cook a whole chicken, but wanted me to sell chicken breasts. And right. had I gotten exactly. set up for that, then uh, I could have made a lot more money. But sometimes you have to start where you start. You know what I mean? Right. And then like yeah. uh, for us, we can do all the poultry cuts or value added products or whatever completely legal yeah. we don't have to have any extra stuff for us i could sell whole and half hogs but it's like a giant run around to be able to sell a jerky stick yeah um so anyways it just kind of depends but you will make more money and ultimately this is only fun to do for other people for free for so long right. i don't care who you yeah. are yeah or at a debt right at a de- exactly most people are losing money when they sell meat. Yeah. You need to remember that. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I lost my ass on meat mm-hmm. all the time. I just took four pigs in that I lost money on too. Yeah. That was, well, yeah. I priced them completely incorrectly. It's really hard to do. Meat is one of the most challenging things to sell. Doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. Just don't follow our tracks and charge the correct amount and don't please people. Right. You need to be able to break even at least. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Anyway, that could be its own episode. I guess we should move on. We're like, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I'm like biting my tongue because I have like four other things I could add to that. I but, do too. Yeah. Right. Bonus episode right. for Patreon members someday. Right. <laughs> Listen to us ramble about me. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's signing yeah. up right now. <laughs> right. Our Patreon list is blowing up. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what's been going on your farm? Oh, Virgie's pregnant. Yay. I don't have confirmation of that as far as I don't have a lab test. Uh, but she was supposed to come in to heat last Thursday. Today is right. another Thursday later. And um, another Thursday zero later. heat symptoms. So I'm um, pretty sure. I, I, yeah. I would be floored if she's not pregnant. How about that? Right. Because her biggest thing when she comes in is she drops production by like 75%. Like it is unmistakable. Yeah. She goes from like three plus gallons to under a gallon. When is she due? August. I think it's August 16th. Our calves will be like a month mm-hmm. apart then. Yeah, they're about a cycle. Yeah, yeah. which yeah is cool. Because you had uh, you had the vet out, right? I had the vet out. She did an ultrasound just because that's what she prefers, and it doesn't really cost any extra. It's like forty dollars for. She says it's a palp yeah. check, so palpation check, but she just likes to see it. Yeah. Um, and then she came out, did that. We got to see the calf on there, and she looked pretty thoroughly for a twin just because I was nervous about that. I don't know. I had twins, so I assume everything is going to have twins. (laughs) (laughs) And then we did vaccinations for the pigs. Didn't go very well, but that's a story for another day. We got everyone vaccinated. Good. So silver lining. Vaccination for Daisy the calf. That went really well. And then also her weaning ring worked for one day. (laughs) So those quiet weans are garbage as far as Daisy is concerned. So we had to separate them. And if you hear mooing on here, it's because they're mooing at each other. They've been separated for a day. So Well, I still think uh, it was worth a shot. I tried it for $25 and it did not work. It did work for one day and I was super excited. (laughs) I was very hopeful, but my calf is literally a demon. So there's that. Calves are so... They're just little parasites. It's really... They really are. It's really biologically all they are. They will suck their host completely dry and give zero shits about it. Right, right. And poor Dixie's teats were all torn up. Yeah. And her bag was just getting banged and banged on. I can see why people do not calf share. Yeah. It was... It's so much work. Yeah, it's... So much work. Yeah, it's like more work and less work. It depends, you know? Yeah. Because you get the benefit of not being tied, right? Say something comes up and you don't want to milk... 
that morning you just put the calf on done yeah but then yeah this stage of weaning it's a lot more work for sure yeah so you're paying the piper (laughs) right i am right now Uh, gosh what's our main topic this week (laughs) this week you mean this month this month whole (laughs) ass month of and tracy like i needed your compliment today this week yeah um, yeah on that were very well researched there are some topics that tara and i talk about that we do research mainly to confirm that we were correct and not just remembering inappropriately yeah but there, which we do all the time yeah. we're like no this is how it is there, there are a like, lot actually of, no yeah exactly there are a lot of episodes though where you know we don't wing it but we can talk more freely without studying right yeah just because yeah. like pastured poultry I know like the back of my hand right I could talk about that all day long without yeah. an outline in front of me and make coherent sense some topics aren't like that we either don't know a ton about it before we get into it or we realize we want to go in a different direction with the topic in which case we hit the books yeah so <laughs> honeybees are what we're talking about today right uh both of our apiaries our honeybee operations are ran by our husbands that's just how the deli- the, it's the chore has been delegated, right? And for right. whatever reason, it just so happened that both of our men do the bees. Right. So when I started writing the outline on this, quite a bit of it I knew, but I definitely was was very deeply into the research. You guys, a regular episode of ours is like seven, eight pages on the outline. Right. I'm like, what am I up to? 22? Mm-hmm. And I'm not yeah, even 22. done. <laughs> no. Like, I told Tara, I'm like, no. this researching, I mean, I have... You spent hours on I it. probably have at least 20 hours into this outline. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really, it's really We unreal. could sell it as a book, as a honestly. Book. <laughs> so yeah, I told Tara, I was like, if I see another bee thing, I'm going to lose my mind. I had to walk away from it yesterday because I was like five hours straight on it. And so, you know what, Tracy, I needed that compliment about how well-researched we are because it might kill me. So we're still trying to figure out how this is exactly going to lay out. But this episode today... Anyhow, so we're going to do honeybees for the next couple episodes anyways. Will it be once a right. week? Pro- probably. Will it be a bonus episode? Eh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. We'll it goes. And it also is, you know what? We don't have a staff of any sort. No. We are the staff. We are the staff. So me, I edit everything. Stephanie does like the show notes. It's a lot of work. And also we have kids. So yeah. we're going to try our best. Please be patient with us. We're trying. Yeah. And we're, we're really doing well, I think. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, if you're excited about bees, come on along with us. Right. And if you don't think you're excited about bees, at least listen to this first one because the bees There's themselves so are interesting. I do not care who you are. Right. Like, even if you have no interest in beekeeping, bees are pretty cool to learn about. Well, and then they're integral, not only for gardeners. I think that applies to almost all of our listeners. But if you're not a gardener and you just run pastured animals, it still applies to you because those pastures, they contain clover most of the time bees need that or there's just other wildflowers that you should know about and like if you are pasturing animals you should know how to preserve places for bees yeah so totally you should listen and learn about bees right (laughs) everyone should care about bees so now that we've twisted your arm to stay with us this episode in particular is going to be about the bees themselves mostly right um brought to you by bees for for bees bees. and all about bees um because they're just fascinating creatures so Inside any given hive at peak production, you're going to find at least 60,000 bees, mm-hmm. which is... It's New York, New York. <laughs> New York. Wait, I think there's more people in New York, but yes, you know. Yes, than 60,000? There's, a, yeah. I think, a couple more. Maybe it's like, like 62,000. Okay. 
Okay. It's one apartment building. One apartment building. Have you ever been to New York? No. Neither have I. It terrifies me. Oh, really? I want to go, but just for the food, really. Right. If I don't eat a New York bagel before I die, (laughs) I want that shit imported and thrown in my casket. Yes, I'll do it while I'm deleting all your pictures and stuff on your phone. (laughs) We do a lot of death planning on this podcast. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? Oh, my gosh. And while um, these bees may all look the same, they're actually quite different in many ways. So there's three main types of bees. And it's important if you're going to get into bees to know how to identify them. So if you're thinking about this, look up a picture or some videos because it is good to know. Yeah. There's worker bees, drones, and of course the queen bee herself. We'll start at the top with queen bee. She is absolutely essential to the hive. And without her, they just fail to exist. A hive has to have a queen, which is crazy because she's one bee, right? Yeah. Out of 60,000. That's but. a lot of pressure. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. The queen story is actually kind of sad, but so yeah, there is one single queen per hive. And she's in most cases fairly easily identifiable because she's significantly larger than the other bees in the sense that she has a very elongated body. Yeah. Um, and it is common for bee companies to mark their queens, which it's just a little marker dot that's easily visible on like her back. And keepers usually mark the queens with certain colors to help them tell apart, like based on years. So like 2021 might be all red queens, 2022 might be all green queens or however they um, separate that out. Yeah. But it's important. We'll get to that. It's important to know kind of how old your queen is. And if you do get a marked queen, it makes her so easy to spot for our first several years. Actually, we only have one marked queen. Yeah. And we didn't realize how amazing that feature is. Yeah. It saves it makes you a it... lot of time. Yeah. And I'm, you know, in some ways I am glad that we started without because it really taught our eyes to find mm-hmm. the, that queen, you know, without the, without the big sticker on her. But yeah, anyhow, um, she is the only bee with developed ovaries, meaning she's the only one who can lay eggs and she does it really, really well, like up to 1500 eggs per day. Good for you, queen bee. <laughs> she's laying at 30 second intervals. Dang. Birthing. Birthing at 30-second intervals, Tara. <laughs> she deserves an award. Seriously. So she only... This is also... Well, there's a lot of great things about the queen. She only needs to mate once in her entire life to produce all of those eggs. Good for her. She just stores all that up in her. <laughs> and in, like her, really, her two main jobs of the queen is to lay eggs and to produce a chemical scent that communicates and unites the entire hive. Which is why she's so important to be there because without her, they won't be united. She's so devoted to laying eggs and has been evolved to do that so well that she's actually incapable of tending to any of her own needs, which is like true mama. Right. I felt that way the other day when I was making soap. Like I didn't eat the entire day and I was like, why can't I do this design? I'm literally shaking from how much coffee I drink. I wish somebody would feed me. I need to be a queen bee. Seriously. Seriously. I don't know if you want to sign up for that. No, it seems like a lot of work. Right. <laughs> but because of this, right, this does sound good. She does have a team of attendants. Yeah, exactly. That are constantly surrounding her and caring for her. They J-Lo. groom her. Her name's J-Lo. <laughs> J-Lo. <laughs> they groom her, they feed her, and they clean up after her, which sounds amazing, uh, sort of, other than the only reason that they do this is that she will continuously give birth. Right. So there's that. Yeah, she doesn't have time to eat on her own. No, no. because she's 
birthing children. Right. It takes a lot of work. I'm just, I might just be sensitive to that at the moment. (laughs) Right. It really (laughs) hits a nerve with you. Seriously. The queen bee can live for two or more years. Most keepers, however, plan to replace their queen every few seasons. Some people even do it every single autumn. Mm -hmm. And this is to ensure that they have a young and vigorous queen. Because as the queen ages, her ability to pump out those eggs slows down to a trickle. And that trickles down all the way into less honey harvest for you. Makes right? sense. She has less less brood, less bees, less honey. So besides the egg production, I did mention that her other role is to unite the hive. And she can't possibly pep talk each and every, there's 60,000 bees every single day, right? But she does produce a number of different pheromones. And some they're also called queen substances. Nice. Right. So these pheromones signal like a ton of things. But to list just a few, they can stimulate brood rearing. So encouraging other bees to get those brood going, um, stimulate foraging, comb building, all sorts of activities of the hive. Just by her sense, she can tell them what needs done. I wish that worked in real life. Could you imagine <laughs> you if I... talk to them. Right. Just emit a scent and my kids are like, yes, I will absolutely clean up my laundry. <laughs> right. That'd be awesome. Oh my gosh. On it, mom. On it. <laughs> um, the pheromones can also signal to the worker bees to prevent the development of ovaries, which is insane. So that means essentially that she will be the only queen bee and it ensures that the hive does not replace her. Yes. Which is like boss bitch vibes, right? right? it is. So as she ages, though, these pheromones diminish and that's how the colony decides to replace a new queen. Right. Because they're not being suppressed anymore, which right. is... Kind of interesting. So the f- the pheromones spread through the hive like cartoon firemen bucketing water to a fire. So from the queen bee, the attendants pick up the scent and then they transfer it to bees in their proximity by literal contact. I did not know that. I didn't either. I've, I've, seen, like, I've seen oh, wow. bee chains before. Maybe that's yeah. kind of like that. It's like a bee chain. Yeah. They like spread it through physical contact, which is really interesting. And then it goes through the whole hive. Yeah. Like the queen has a thought and a couple of buckets of water later, yes. everybody knows about it. So, and it's such a good means of communication that if the queen were to die the entire hive will know in just a few hours like it takes them no time to know that which is really interesting let's talk about the worker bee so the worker bee is absolutely the largest population of the hive and all of them are female so this is like yeah of course they're female they're working their butts off their little bee butts off when i was researching this i'm like we are gonna annoy the shit out of a whole bunch of people with this episode i don't even care nope (laughs) go girl bees (laughs) So they're all female. That's so awesome. And they are significantly smaller than the queen and also possess pollen baskets on the back of their legs. And they're so cute. Little fuzzies. Little fuzzies. They do have stingers. Their stingers are barbed. So when they sting the stinger, venom sac, and some of the guts remain on the victim and the bee dies. This is like their sacrifice and efforts to protect their whole hive. So I really get sad when I, I did get stung a couple of times. I always get sad for yeah. the bee because it doesn't necessarily hurt that bad, but you feel bad for the I know. bee. It happens. She fell on her sword. <sighs> Super sad. An interesting aspect of the stinger, though, is that it only falls out and ends in fatality if it is injected into a mammal. If the bee stings other insects... In an effort to protect the hive, it can sting again and again. And this is absolutely true. We had wasps come and try to attack a hive before, and they really, really went after it. It was really neat to see, but not the greatest thing to have come after them. Yeah. We've had like a wasp or two. Right. But we don't have wasps. You guys have some wasps. We have wasps everywhere. (laughs) They'd be wilding. Oh my gosh. When we were processing chickens, I was like tweaking out. 
And no one, I was like looking around, no one else oh, was reacting. At my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was like losing my shit. I so know. So many wasps everywhere. And yeah. like no one else has even raised an eyebrow. No. Yeah. We were just totally, no, you know, yeah. immune to them, I guess. Right. They get really bad towards fall. So, yeah. I mean, we're just kind of used to dealing with them. The lifespan of a worker bee during the busy season is only six weeks. During the off season, though, they can live up to four to eight months. And the life of a worker bee is fascinating. They work tirelessly, especially during the busy season, but they work themselves to death. And all this work is divided and highly coordinated to keep the hive functioning as like a well-oiled machine. And a worker bee's specific job varies as she ages. Her tasks become more and more complex as her experience level grows. Sometimes jobs overlap, and sometimes they just move to a new job within minutes of starting her old one. It all matters on what the hive needs. So hive needs come first, for sure. But as a general rule, inside of the hive jobs are referred to house bees and outside the hive jobs are referred to as field bees which is just the most adorable thing ever the cutest does it have like harry potter vibes it totally does Mm -hmm. i thought of that what's your house it also has zodiac vibes oh yeah little little peppering of all of these (laughs) we're such nerds (laughs) we are i love it that's okay so here's a general outline of the possible jobs and time timelines so if you're a housekeeping bee you're one to three days old and just after emerging from your cell as a brand new baby bee you're starving so you groom yourself and then gorge yourself then your first real task is to clean out the cell in which you were born from and you may also clean out neighboring cells too anything to get the cells ready to receive new brothers and sisters right day one dude day one you got to be working it's incredible right yeah have you ever seen a developing bee inside of a one yeah of like a time lapse kind of thing yeah yeah it's really neat how they just come out as pretty much adults so yeah that's really cool. yeah it's yeah certain species are so much better at <laughs> yeah turning into adults well the reason we, are. we can't is because our heads got so ginormous from eating animal fats that we had to fit through the hips is it not the hips but yeah, we had pelvis, to fit through yeah. the pelvis of our mothers, and that meant that our heads had to be small and we weren't developed. And then, yeah, 18 years, you're relying on somebody. 18 years. Because our, our noggins are just so big, so we can talk about bee butts, I guess. Bees are like, if I'm having a real bad day, real bad life, I'm going to start when I'm three. <laughs> yeah. Three days. days. Three days old. Days. Days. Yeah. So undertaking, this is three to 16 days old. So she moves into the role of removing any bees who have died from the hive. They keep their hives impeccably clean and organized. So she takes the corpses as far from the hive as possible. She may also remove diseased bees or dead broods as well. All of this cleaning is in attempts to keep diseases away. The hive is immaculately clean, like I said, and say a mouse enters the hive and is stung to death. This can absolutely happen. We had a mouse get into our hive once. Bees can't evict a body so large, so instead they cover it in propolis, a brown sticky resin collected from trees, and the hot dry air of the hive combines to mummify and seal it off completely. So they just decide to make a wall over it. They mummify shit. They Edgar Allan poet. <laughs> like I yeah. A I mean at every there's gonna be like every paragraph. I'm like, can you believe it? I am so excited about <laughs> the know. mummified mouse. I did not know that. So mm-hmm. working in the nursery. So if you are four to twelve days old as a bee these nurses help feed and develop the larvae on average nurse bees check on a single larva 1300 times per day could you imagine that that's like if you're a new mom you watch your kid breathe that many helicopter moms yeah they must be so exhausted these poor bees i know and they feed the larvae a mixture of pollen and honey 
Royal jelly is a substance made from pollen, honey, and a secretion from a special gland in the worker bees. They only feed royal jelly when they wish to transform a normal worker bee egg to a new queen when they need to replace theirs. So this is attending royalty if you are 7 to 12 days old. As we mentioned before, the queen has her own team to groom, feed, and clean up after her. Another important aspect of their job is to coax the queen to continuously lay eggs. So like, come on, just keep pushing. Just keep pushing. One more push. <laughs> I know. It's like the, we can talk about the queen bee and like how amazing she is. And she really is. Right. But in a lot of ways, she's just a slave to all of these. She's like a slave to the colony. Yeah. They yeah, really need is... more numbers. So they just keep yeah. going and going and going. And they, yeah. That really just force her to lay eggs, which is the whole thing is nuts. So fanning, 12 to 18 days old. These bees work at controlling the temperature and humidity of the hive, and they're the coolest ones to watch, I think. Yeah. They place themselves in certain areas of the hive and fan their wings to keep the hive at its ideal temp of 93 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit for the brood. The fanning also helps (laughs) evaporate excess moisture from curing honey. They can also use fanning for means of communication. They have glands on their abdomens that excrete a pheromone, and the fanning of their wings can help send the pheromone out to the other bees. It's very commonly used to signal to the foraging bees which hive is theirs. So the architect and master builder is 12 to 35 days old, and beeswax is used for all sorts of things in the hive. They build their comb for honey and larvae out of beeswax. And the bees tasked with the responsibility produce white flakes of wax from a gland on the underside of their abdomen. So guarding the hive is 18 to 21 days. And the last task of the house bee is to guard the hive. By this point, her sting glands have developed and she is ready to battle. And these bees are usually easily recognizable as they stand watch at the entrance of the hive. They literally check each bee as she enters using scent as only hive members are allowed to enter. Any non-hive member, honeybee, or any other insects looking to enter, usually to rob honey, are fought off by the guard bees. So the guard bees are really keeping a watch out. And they're, like, maybe one of the easiest ones to spot. Yeah. Yeah. They really take their job seriously. Mm-hmm. And they look so tough. I know. <laughs> fuzzy butts. Yeah, they're so cute. <laughs> so becoming a field bee when you're 22 to 42 days old, she's finally now ready to leave the hive. And they do an orientation flight first in which they make sure they recognize their hive. This is very important. And it's imperative that you don't get lost out there. So they start close, memorizing landmarks, which is fascinating. Their little tiny bee brains mm-hmm. can remember that. They're so smart. I know. And then work their way out. She's now foraging for pollen, nectar, water, and propolis. A single bee can visit 10 flowers a minute and 600 flowers in a single flight. In fact, 5 million flowers will be visited to produce a single pint of honey. Again, that's amazing. I know. So We're amazing. never going to get through this because I just want to talk about how amazing they are. And then some flowers have more for the bees than others. Yeah. So yeah. when you're planting and you want specifically to attract pollinators, just remember that there are charts out there telling you which ones to plant for what and why. So Right. These ladies can travel a two to three mile radius from the hive. So your property doesn't need to be anything fancy. And they carry their bounty in pollen baskets on their back legs. Again, these pollen baskets are to die for. They're adorable. If you guys haven't seen bees flying with their pollen baskets, which I hadn't. Oh, so cute. Before before we got into bees, like I had no idea that was even a thing. Yeah. It's it looks like they have little side bags, like a motorcycle right. sidecar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of uh, like bell bottoms uh, bell pants. Bottoms. They're like bee, bee bell bottoms. bottoms. Yeah, bee bottoms. <laughs> They're so cute. 
and foraging yeah, is the hardest time for a bee though like that is a lot of mileage and it's a difficult and dangerous work if they don't make it back to the hive in time before the chill of dust sets in they will die or become victims to hungry animals this task is so taxing that they literally go until they die i find so many resting bees on my sunflowers in september yeah. specifically they'll get caught there yeah. at night and then i have this tradition of like going out there with the boys and like just blowing on them with my warm air when it's getting warmer and then they'll fly get them off. going again it's yeah. so cute yeah and i hope that they make it back but at that point they're just not doing very well right yeah it's it's crazy like there's pictures and stuff and you i mean you can see it if you like look very closely but you can see bees like flying back to the hive and like their wings are tattered and yeah. they just look haggard and they will work for the hive until they literally cannot right yeah which is really impressive <laughs> on to the drones <laughs> These guys. The drones are the boy. I'm the boy. I'm kidding. The drones, they have a job, some kind of. Um, so the drones are the only males in the hive. They're, they are often mistaken for the queen. Yeah. And I know we kind of did this a lot at first because they're really big. They are big. Like they're noticeably bigger. Um, than the workers. Like the bees. queen is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's easy to think like, oh, there, there she is. Oh, wait. There's another her. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, wait, you know, which if is you which? see more. Yeah. But right, when you see the queen compared to the drone, like, you yes. know, right away. When you see the queen, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, and this is where if you are looking to be a beekeeper, we watched a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. We looked at diagrams and pictures and then just spent time at our hive because identifying these three groups of bees is really important. Uh, so like her, they're big, but they are more of a barrel shaped where she's more of a long, skinny, elongated body. And they're kind of the biggest giveaway is they have eyes. <laughs> their eyes like take up their entire face. <laughs> Bless their hearts. It's like a barrel and then eyes. Barrel and eyes. That's <laughs> how I hope somebody describes me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor oh drone bees. Anyhow, their population is quite small though. At at like peak peak, only being in the hundreds. Right. So why are there so few of them? Um, because they are nearly worthless. They nearly. try. They try. Nearly worthless. They have no pollen baskets, so they don't contribute to foraging. Good. They have no wax glands, so they don't contribute to building. Good. They have no stingers, so they don't contribute to protecting. Oh, and they also need to be waited on. So worker bees oh. also feed them and groom them. Wow. <laughs> right? Their literal only task in life is to mate. That's it. Otherwise, they just lay around. Good. Which, good. It right? gives like a whole new meaning to the birds and the bees. Right. <laughs> Right? Right. Male birds work their butts off, though. Yeah. For it. Right. So I wonder what yeah. the comparison is between bees. Like, what what are you offering here, sir? Yeah, not much. Not much. Literally one thing. <laughs> so, I mean, like, the only reason that they're allowed to stay, though, in the hive is because in the event that the queen does need replaced, um, a new one will need to mate. Right. And the mating's a little weird. <laughs> it occurs outside of the hive. Yeah. Which, uh, like, two to three hundred feet in the air. Good for the them. Way. What um, is that called? Um, <laughs> my, the Mile High Club. <laughs> a 200-foot club. <laughs> That's a long distance for a bee, I think. One three hundredths and sevenths of a mile high club. I'm sorry, I, I don't no know the conversion rate for right. that. No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I mean, like, I mean, that's like, we can make all the jokes we want about it. But like, if you think about it, if the queen is the most important thing and she has one single bug. Right. You're going to let her go fly up in the air? Yeah. That part is kind of the mind-blowing part about it to me. But the queen, a new queen, which they call a virgin queen. 
Don't get me started. Virgin's not a real term, but... It's not right. Right. Don't get me started. So she'll take what they call her nuptial flight. Good for them. I mean, a man mm-hmm. totally named these, but that's okay. Right. right. But they didn't make this part up because she mates with multiple drones. Good for her. Right. So the silver lining to the laziness of the drones, <laughs> they do die after mating. Good. Their boy parts are barbed, which sounds like a blast for the poor queen. <laughs> That's why she only but, has to do it once. They're like, right? okay. In her whole life. Just yeah. if you get through this lady, <laughs> we will never make you do this again. Right. Anyhow, mating removes that bit and the beats, no, the drones no longer exist. So once mating's done at the end of the honey season, the worker bees literally throw the drones out of the hive. They're like, bye, like, pack your bags. <laughs> right. <laughs> bye boy. So they contribute nothing. And they use up a ton of resources, and their services are simply not needed when it's not mating season. Okay, so So they just get thrown out. Out they go. Right. Yeah. The life cycle of the honeybee. So during winter, no leg, leg laying? No, no leg laying. None of it. (laughs) No egg laying is taking place. They are really just huddled up to stay warm and survive, so they're just really focusing on staying warm together in their little bee ball. As the weather warms, though, the worker bees start feeding the queen royal jelly again, and that signals her to start laying. And there are some nuances between the types of bees as far as the development goes, but the general process is the same. So first up, the egg, obviously. What came before? The bee, queen bee, (laughs) or the egg? We don't know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. You will need to get good at spotting these as a beak because... a beak, sorry, interjection. <laughs> I realized I didn't. A beak, B-E-E-K, is like shorthand, but it's not just in writing, for a beekeeper. Oh. So like my neighbor, she's a fellow beak. I've like never heard this term. term. Oh, yeah. It's a term, like a, like a nickname for a beekeeper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You'll need to get good at spotting them is all. A beak, you as a beak will become good at spotting them so you can evaluate your queen's performance. And she goes along and lays a single egg in each cell. And ideally, each cell has been cleaned and prepared by the worker bee. There are different size cells. The smaller worker bee cell will receive a fertilized egg that will mature into a worker bee. But the larger cell receives an unfertilized egg that will turn into a drone. Which I don't really understand that. The unfertilized part. Oh, I don't either. Yeah, I, I and I started, you guys, I started down that, and I'm like, this thing's already 22 pages yeah. long. We're this. We'll cover that a different time. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing Topic. that I write. My biology degree doesn't fully understand. So if <laughs> anybody knows the answer to that and it's a quick explanation, let us know. Milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com. Right. But remarkably, it's the worker bee who decides the ratio of female worker bees to male drone bees by constructing the cells in the specific sizes. And the queen just lays as she sees it. Let's talk about larvae. I think larvae are cute, side note, but I know a lot of people don't. I think they're really cute. They're kind of nasty looking if you don't have a love for the bees, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, I like ant larvae too, so. Right. I don't know. They're just kind of cool. And we're weirdos because we both really like bugs. I like bugs. Yeah. 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 So if you don't like bugs, maybe this will creep you out. But (laughs) larvae... Three days after the egg is laid, it hatches into larvae. They look like little rolled up grubs inside of the cell. And they are intense eaters, like consuming 1,300 meals a day. So they're basically toddlers. <laughs> I feel like that's how much my kid eats. <laughs> oh, my God. It's true. Yep. And the worker bees feed them what is called bee bread, which is a combination of pollen and honey. Adorable. In just five days, they grow 1,570 times the size that they were at the point the worker bees seal off the cell with more beeswax and 
the larvae spin a cocoon around their bodies. So that's interesting. Did you know that before you got into bees, the cocooning? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either. But I thought it was it was interesting because every time it a, a cocoon is taught, right? It's in relationship right. to butterflies or moths. Yeah, or moths. Yeah, because it's not even really the word for butterflies. Interesting. So pupa. This is a transformation into a real bee is happening like in this stage. So eyes, legs, and wings form, followed by coloration. And lastly, they develop the fuzz we know little honeybees are covered in. And after 12 days, they are now an adult honeybee and they chew their way through the wax capping. This process takes 24 days for drones, 21 days for worker bees, and only 16 days for queens. And I think that's probably because when they need a queen, they need it kind of fast. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because the queen bee is so much bigger that you would think that it would take her longer right. to develop. But evolutionarily, it has to be fast. Fast, yeah, because right. it's an emergency that the queen's not there anymore. Right. Yeah, which is really cool. I feel like of this entire episode or potentially series, this next part is maybe what people would be the most familiar with. Like, I feel like this is what you learn about in elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all, all people care about for bees, but... We're going to talk about how the honey is made fairly briefly. So remember that the honey is for the bees. They're making it for them. Um, really not for us. Right. They're, they're not altruistic like that. So the, the bees do need two different types of food to survive, and that's honey and bee bread. And honey is made using nectar from the heart of the flower. Bee bread is made with pollen as well, which is a grainy substance found on the anthers of the flower. So just two different areas of the flower. They're getting two different products. So when a honeybee visits a flower for nectar, she sucks it up and stores it in her special honey stomach for transport back to the hive. Adorable. So cute. When she arrives at the hive, she transfers honey to a house bee, who then transfers it to another bee and another and so on. Um, How do they do it? They do it by mouth by mouth-to-mouth transferring of said honey. Good for them. So, you know, it's Maybe that's do. the birds and the bees because birds <laughs> transfer food to their babies using their mouths. I'm going to have to investigate like, how does this. That, I don't does know. that correlate to our definition of the birds and the bees? I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> You're just staring at me. Guess what we're going to be Googling after this. Pray for us. <laughs> our, our Again, our Google research... <laughs> Is going to be fascinating. Oh, it's terrifying, maybe. Right. <laughs> Don't Google density of rabbits. <laughs> That's the take home here. <laughs> oh, gosh. So they do this mouth-to-mouth transfer until the moisture content is reduced from 70% to 20%. So they just and do it from B to B to B? Yeah, and somehow the transferring... Lessens the moisture. Of it lessens the moisture, right? Okay. So once the correct moisture content is achieved, they store the honey in storage cells and cap it with beeswax to perfectly preserve it. The thing about that moisture content, which you can get more into definitely when it comes to like honey harvest and such, um, without the moisture content being just right, it's just a different product. Yeah. And if you harvest honey that isn't dehydrated to the appropriate amount, um, you can get fermented honey if there's too much water left in it. Right. So that's just, it's just interesting that like we have an explanation for that logically and scientifically. Right. But the bees have known it all along. Yeah. So again, like the only difference between the honey and the bee bread is that the bee bread is honey mixed with pollen. 
Yeah. So they, they definitely need both. I know this is odd because we usually cover history at the beginning of our episodes, but the way this is broken up and it being bees, like throw logic out of the window because <laughs> bees don't apply by your rules. Okay. Right? So milkmaids also don't apply by your rules. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun doing the history for this and it wouldn't be an episode without me talking about this. So first of all, please, please check out this link that we'll have in our show notes provided by the Museum of the Earth. They have collected several specimens inside am- amber and this is like fossilized tree resin. They are preserved when the tree is injured and the insect gets stuck inside the liquid tree resin that hardens and becomes amber and then survives for millions of years. Really, really fascinating. You got to think of Jurassic Park type amber, okay, that he had on the top of his cane. That's right. legit. That's where they stole it from is these bees, right? That's really cool. And it looks exactly like that. Side note, I spent far too much time looking if you could buy bees inside of amber and you absolutely can (laughs) also spiders and beetles because stephanie likes beetles so beetles are my favorite if you're looking for a gift perhaps (laughs) my address is (laughs) preserved amber with amber is the answer you know you need one i really need one one. i want one on a keychain i a keychain i want a necklace Ooh, that'd be cool too it would be cool so you can buy them really cool So the first recorded bee relative was actually a wasp, and it's 100 million years old. This specimen was found in Myanmar, and it is the oldest found to date. Quick note, the difference between a honeybee and a wasp. A wasp is carnivorous, and this completely makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint because angiosperms were slowly evolving, and wasps did not rely on them for food. That is when the honeybee enters, and the angiosperm of the Cretaceous period evolved in tandem with the honeybee. So they work together. And an angiosperm is just like a flower, something that doesn't rely on wind to repopulate itself. Around the 100 million year ago mark, there is evidence that wasp-honeybee hybrids was starting to evolve. Again, you have to see the hybrid, hybrid preserved in amber. It's truly fascinating. So now we are closer to modern times, I guess you could say, at approximately 42 million years ago. In the Paleogen period, there are social stingless bees who are migrating around this time. They found them in several different locations. This is also about the time we see evidence of a honeybee entering North America. The oldest one is found to be imprinted in a coarse rock in North America. And just to give you an idea of how old bees are, humans are said to have appeared on the scene around 6 million to 2 million years ago. So the very first bee relative predates us by 94 million years. And now that we got all of that out of the way, let's talk about humans and our relationships with bees. And the first recording of humans and bees dates back to the the artistic interpretation done in Spain in the historic cave known as La Cava de la Arena, or Cave of the Spider, where a human collecting honey from a hive with bees flying around them is drawn on the wall of the cave. This will be in our show notes as well. It's really interesting to see. So when people think of honey in the early days, Egypt is one of those countries that come to mind first. And this is because it was very much recorded in their history and everything from Egypt was really well preserved for the most part. This was so important to their way of life. There was even someone in a position called sealer of honey and they figured out how to utilize smoke to calm bees down when working with them. On the lower part of the Nile River, a bee was even used as a symbol for their country alongside the sedge that was the symbol of the upper part of Egypt. And when they would come together, you'd see the bee and the sedge plant. So during the early days in Egypt, beekeeping was more done for like the beeswax. It was very, very valuable. And this is because they used it for so many things like for sealing watercraft and jars and even used in the mummification process. 
They would use the honey to eat and for wines, but they would forage for honey just as much, if not more, than the honey they harvested from their own hives. So let's jump to China. In China, oracle bones dating back to 1100 BCE showed writings about bees that were maintained by farmers who raised the hives for medicinal purposes and as a source of healthy food. After only a few hundred years in China, they were so advanced with beekeeping that they were making beeswax candles much earlier than in Europe. And then in ancient Greece around this time, bees were studied, but beekeeping really wasn't practiced. But in 200 BCE is, is when we see ancient Rome entering the beekeeping scene, and they used perishable materials to construct their bee housing, and that, that's just why they haven't been able to find any of these bee houses. But we know this is when they started due to their recordings and their writings that have been preserved. And Romans prize the honey for sweetening. In fact, the term honeymoon comes from the combination of honey and milk that was given to newlyweds. So let's jump to Europe really quick, where the big push for beekeeping was due to the church's need for candles until the year 1453, because the use of candles by the Protestant church was not as popular. However, the demand from the public was still there due to the fact that beeswax candles burned so cleanly that they just used them a lot for their house. They didn't give off as much smoke as other animal fat candles did. And by the 1500s, bees were traveling with Europeans to other areas of the world. In what we now know as the United States, bees were being imported by colonists beginning around 1622, with bees being well-established all the way to the Mississippi River by the 1800s. We think of bees as being such a like integral part of our ecosystem. It's hard to imagine them not being here. Right, and they just weren't the type that they brought over here were not something that was local to North America. Yeah, we've had yeah. other kinds of bees. Yeah, Right, yeah. By 1851, Reverend L.L. L. Langstroth invented the Langstroth Beehive, which is the most common bee house we know of today. Prior to this, straw baskets called skeps or hollowed out logs called gums were used, but were not as efficient as a Langstroth was and is, as we're still using this design today. So by 2019, there was said to be a 40% drop in honeybee colonies. This can be detrimental to certain local crops, and due to the lack of hives, traveling beekeepers aren't as able to go and pollinate certain crops like they once were. So maybe this is like a big push to have you all start your own aviary. Yeah, and there was like um, a lot of speculation around those events too, the the die-off of the honeybees. It's called like colony collapse disorder. Yeah. Which could be a whole episode on its own. If you're interested, go research, dig into it. But yeah. Well, I think that brings us beautifully into our next episode. So we're, sure. we'll cut it here. Our next episode, if you guys want to keep along with us, will be about the actual beekeeping equipment, hives, everything you need to get going on your journey because we need more. We do apiaries, need more. As Tara said. So anyhow, on that note. We will see you guys then. Thanks Happy for listening. Happy beekeeping. <laughs> Happy beekeeping. <laughs> Bye. Bye.